While You Were Folding, Episode 4, Prayer, with Amy Zeleny. Hi, I'm Catherine Boucher, and you're listening to While You Were Folding. This show is my weekly excuse to talk about marriage, parenting, faith, friendship, culture, what I'm reading and watching, and whatever else strikes my fancy. Most importantly, it's a great excuse to connect with and learn from like-minded women who are committed to beginning again each day. I will not pretend to be an expert, but I will ask a whole bunch of questions, invite you into the conversation, and encourage you to share what you heard while you were folding. Hello, welcome back to While You Were Folding. This is episode four, and today I have a great conversation with my friend Amy Zeleny. We talked about prayer, the challenges, what early mom life looked like for Amy when she transitioned from working full-time to part-time and then eventually being at home full-time and becoming a homeschooling mom. But before we get any further, let's go ahead and start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to bring a podcast to these listeners again. Please help this conversation that I had with Amy to bless them in their vocations as wives and mothers. Please lift them up and encourage them to do what it is that you're putting upon their hearts. Open their ears to the message that they hear today from Amy. Not to be hard on themselves, but just to recognize where they are and where they can meet you in the midst of their day-to-day whether they're in the middle of a busy office or they find themselves at home full-time. Please build them up to meet the needs of those that you've put into their lives and help them to be faithful to those things day in and day out and to lean on you when it gets difficult. We pray all these things through your name. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so welcome back to the show. Like I said, this is episode four, and if this is your first time listening, go ahead and go back to the first couple because I had a great guest back in episode two and in episode one, that episode will give you a better idea of who I am and the kind of show that this is. But before we jumped into my conversation that I had with Amy, I thought I'd give you a little weekly recap And today I wanted to focus on my new goals with my phone in particular. Last week I talked a lot about distraction and how my phone was a big source of distraction in my life. So as of last Sunday, I, again, (laughs) for the, I don't even know what number time it was, I deleted the Facebook app and the Gmail app off of my phone and After doing that, I also ordered myself a new phone charger. I put the link in the show notes so that you know exactly what the phone charger is. And this sounds so ridiculous, but having a phone charger that I can literally just set my phone on top of it, I don't have to plug anything in, has made such a difference 
in my willingness just to set it down and be done with it. So I have turned my phone into more or less a landline by leaving it docked in the kitchen. And when I'm listening to a podcast or an audiobook as I'm going around the house doing housework, when my kids or Philip don't need me, I'll bring my phone with me. But otherwise, it stays docked in the kitchen on that phone charger. And that has been awesome. And at nighttime, I had been bringing my phone with me to bed, but now I'm using this alarm clock that I got for myself. And it's awesome. I had actually bought it way back in the fall, but unfortunately the cord that came with it was not long enough for it to be put on top of my dresser where I needed it to be, to be an effective alarm clock. Because if you're like me, your alarm clock cannot be on your nightstand because you will roll over hit it, turn it off, and then you will remain in bed. (laughs) So I got this alarm clock, which is supposed to simulate sunrise. Now, unfortunately, that feature has not been super effective for me. It does not wake me up. Philip is actually sitting right here shaking his head because it wakes him up, (laughs) but it doesn't wake him up. Um, It's supposed to simulate the sunrise and it does beautifully and it helps me to see the alarm when I have gotten up out of bed, but because it's across the room and it's on top of a dresser, I'm actually forced to get up out of bed and turn it off. And I have it set to do this really beautiful classical piece of music as it turns on the alarm instead of that blaring beeping sound that is really unpleasant to wake up to. So it has this beautiful light, it has the classical music, and it's getting me up and out of bed. And I got up every weekday last week at my 530 alarm, and I was able to do my quiet prayer time and exercise time before the kids woke up. But more than that, my evening was much more peaceful because I didn't have my phone on my nightstand and I wasn't tempted to check any of my apps right before I put the phone down and went to sleep. So that was awesome. Um, And I'd say overall, I am just feeling so much less distracted. I have been able to focus in my mornings on what my goals are for each day using that planner that I mentioned last week. And no, I am not getting paid to tell you about this planner, but frankly, I should be. because of how much I talk about it. It's Michael Hyatt's full focus planner. And like I said last week, the thing I like most about it is he puts you, he has you put your goals in there for the year at the beginning. And then you have the the planner for a quarter. And at the beginning of each week, you're supposed to put in your weekly big three. And so last week, was a lot about distraction. This week, I have a couple different things going on that maybe I'll revisit next week to see how it went. Um, But distraction was a really big thing for me last week. And I am very happy to report that I feel like I have so much more clarity. I am doing the things that I'm supposed to be doing. It's not just about how much I'm getting done on my to-do list, but I think I'm being much more deliberate and using my morning prayer time to ask God what the big things are that he wants me to do each day, or even just to be more present. And I feel like I'm being much more obedient to those things because I'm not, I don't have nearly as much headspace devoted to things that were distracting me before. So that's been awesome. That was a definite big win. I would love to hear how you are doing with your battle with distraction 
Did you set some new goals for yourself last week? And if you did, how did you do? I would love to know what's going on with you in that department. So please email me at podcast at katherineboucher.com or find me on Facebook. I'd love to hear about it. Other than that, we have uh, so far avoided illness since after Christmas and the kids have had a couple of snow days. They had a snow day today and we had a cold day last week. So we really have not gotten back into the swing of things with school. So we're trying to find our new rhythm. Today I actually kind of got off my game and I did not wake up at my usual early time and didn't have my morning prayer time and exercise, but we did have a lot of playtime and connecting with the kids. I had a lot of playtime and connecting with the kids being here all day, but um yeah, I'm hoping to turn things around for the rest of these weekdays this week with getting up before the kids because that always brings me a lot more peace and headspace just to have that quiet before they wake up. But I'll do my best and hopefully I can stick to those goals this week. Let's go ahead and jump in to my conversation with Amy Zeleny. She is, like I told her, I think of her as my big sister in the parish ever since we moved here three years ago. She is just this, in my mind, calm, peaceful spirit who has a really deep interior life. And I thought that she'd be the perfect person to talk to today about prayer. And like I told her when we first started the call, I did not expect her to be the expert, but I knew that she would be really vulnerable and talk honestly about how she struggled with her prayer life as she became a wife and a mom and where she is with things today. So I am sure you're going to enjoy the conversation. Without further ado, here's Amy. I can't imagine anyone that says, yeah, prayer, I've got that down. (laughs) I'll tell you what I do (laughs) because it, it feels like sort of the more you, you want a prayer life, the more you realize it's lacking or there's just a hunger that, that grows. So um, I like the way you preface that. So thank you for that. Um, so my, my, I grew up in um, Lincoln, Nebraska, and um, the, my family now, my husband and I, Mike, we've been married for 13 years, and we have four kids, ages 5, 7, 9, and 11, almost 12. So um, we're kind of entering a, a new phase of parenthood a little bit there, which is really cool. Um, I grew up, I'm a cradle Catholic, and my family was fairly devout. Um, As kids, we went to Bible studies, and the parents were on one floor doing a Bible study, and then one of the parents would kind of facilitate a kid one, either upstairs or downstairs. And um, I didn't know a lot of people who did that, um, that I went to school with, but these were families from around Lincoln, and um, so that's just the family that I grew up in. It was pretty pretty sheltered. Um, so then when you're, even through high school, and when I went to college, I was pretty shocked um, at the life of of most people. And I thought it seemed amazing, and I joined right in, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And I kept mass as a, basically an anchor, but in between, I just, I lived a pretty worldly life. Um, I would be surprised if, you know, even in college, if people knew that I was 
you know, attempting to practice my faith at least on the weekends. Um, Where was it that you went to college? I went to Simpson College. It's a small liberal arts college in Iowa. Kind of like Wesleyan. Was there very much of a Catholic population among the students or did you even know? It's so funny. Now I know because I see so many people, they're practicing their faith. I see it on Facebook. I see their kids going to Catholic school and I'm like, I didn't know you were Catholic. Mm -hmm. They're probably saying the same thing about me, but there was only a, it was a small town and there was absolutely nothing on campus at all. And I would walk almost a mile to church. I didn't have a car. Wow. And I would, I would walk to mass and I met someone who was a senior and she would, she was the only other person that went on a regular basis. And she took me in the winter. Um, so that was, it was, it didn't really, I didn't think it could be any other way. I didn't really, you know, think about it. Now I see the, the kids and I see what a rich, that's a really good time to, to deepen your faith and to make your faith your own. And I didn't. And, um, but I sort of thought I did, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. I thought if, as long as I keep going to mass, I'm, you know, I'm covered, I guess, mm-hmm. so to speak. And, and that really continued your early adult, you know, kind of keeping mass as an anchor. But um, I worked in clinical research for a long time and um, kind of moved up there and, and lived in many different places and traveled almost every week. Uh, if I wasn't traveling every week, I was living sometimes out of the country and, um, I loved it. I thought it was a very exciting life. I was moving up and I was pretty materialistic and um, that that's the way it was for, I don't know, a decade after college. And then shortly before I met my husband, I just, it's like I, I they call him the hound of heaven. He was coming after me and I just found myself becoming more and more dissatisfied with life as it was. You know, on the outside it looked great and on the inside I just felt dissatisfied and um, it was a, it was just an awakening of my faith and I would go to mass a little bit more not every day but like an extra time during the week and I found myself almost surprised I was doing it so, um, like, oh, I think I'll go to mass and you know I now look and think just the Holy Spirit was just pulling me along um, and the blessing of becoming dissatisfied with worldly things was was a blessing at the time I felt like maybe I was supposed to make some career change but in in retrospect I see that my affections were being um, changed what I loved was being altered for the better so that kind of I guess takes me into um, I met my husband and he was having an awakening probably at the same time a little different than mine but um, when we looked to have children we just we wanted our children to live out their faith and to love their faith and love the church. And so some of the things that um, have been a benefit in our life and our prayer life is really because we wanted to give that to the kids, but we've been probably even more the beneficiary than they have been of that. So you know, I've talked a long time. So. No, this is all great. I didn't want to cut in while you were unspooling the big picture for us. So... I wanted to ask a couple questions about Mike's background, but before we get to him, I'd like to know, as you were growing up in this devout Catholic family, and you said you attended Bible study regularly, what did your own personal prayer life look like as you 
get into those teen years and then you go off to college, did you have a personal prayer life beyond praying before meals and attending Sunday mass? Did you have a relationship with sacred scripture that happened on your own? Did you feel comfortable with spontaneous prayer? What did that look like for you? I felt comfortable with spontaneous prayer because of, you know, I heard my family do it and we always prayed together in the evenings, but my prayer was really, and my entire faith was very much tied to my parents. Um, and, And then my school, I went to Catholic grade school and high school. And so it was sort of, I'd almost like relegated my responsibility of my prayer life to, it was sort of laid out before me. And, um, I wanted to do what I wanted to do the right thing. I primarily wanted to do the right thing to make my parents happy. And I loved the Lord, but I didn't ever seek him out. I just kind of did what was in front of me. Very passive, I guess is a good way of describing it. So would you say you had a lot of the head knowledge from your formation that you had growing up, your catechesis and regular exposure to the sacraments, attending Mm -hmm. mass and so on. But maybe you had not gained that deep personal relationship yet with Christ. Yes. Okay. That's a great way of describing it. I mean, I, I read something later where someone said something about God doesn't have grandchildren. Well, I lived a long time as a grandchild, trying to live as a grandchild that, my faith kind of went through um, other people. But I think I had a lot of head knowledge and I believed it, Mm -hmm. but I don't, somehow it didn't translate into, um, I don't know. My heart did not develop and I didn't have the, the thirst for a relationship. I I thought I had one, I guess. So, yeah. So (laughs) You said you had the head knowledge, but hadn't really developed that relationship with Christ yet. And then you were going upward in your professional life. And you said you were doing clinical research. Is that right? Yes. Yes. In that profession, was there a pretty even distribution of males and females? What was your professional environment like that you found yourself in? It was... um... At the level where I started, there were a lot of women, but then um, I'll never forget, I, w- I went to my first sort of executive meeting, and um, I actually laughed to myself. I just felt like a sort of I was pretending, because I was the only woman, and I was younger. They were all my dad's age. Wow. And I just thought it was so ridiculous. <laughs> I just, I, I don't know, it, it struck <laughs> me as like, I am pretending to do something. And Uh um, so that was, it was all older and it was all men. Okay. Pretty much. Did you feel like you were at this point completely having to compartmentalize your faith in your professional life, that there was no intersection between the two? Yes. I mean, I, I, I did that and, um, completely. I mean, I had a, a professional life. I had my faith over here. Um, I had my family here. I didn't have a huge other part of my life because I worked a lot. All my friends were associated with my work. So it was, but it was very compartmentalized, um, very much so. But through all of this time, you're still going to Sunday mass. There was never a time where you had taken a hiatus, stepped away, said, uh, this isn't for me anymore or suffered from any sort of a crisis of faith where you thought this is bunk. This is ridiculous. I'm not doing this anymore. 
I never did. I mean, I would say, I mean, to be quite honest, it was probably 95% of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was traveling or whatever, I didn't do what I w- would do now, which is I would never miss. I would organize my flights around mass times and stuff. I didn't do that, but it was, it was, uh, I, I just had it the wrong, I mean, so many things were wrong about it, but I, I kept thinking everything is still doable if I keep going to mass, that like, that's the thing I have to keep doing. It was, that's where catechesis, I think, um, had a beautiful hold because I could always, you know, there was still that compartment. I I never lost, I never even, I mean, I wavered in so many other ways, morally, just, I don't want to go through all of that, but I, but definitely I, that was one thing that I kept doing. Sure. So mass remained your constant, even if you weren't internalizing things or trying to grow deeper, it was still your constant every week. Mm -hmm. Wow. Around this time is when you met Mike. Yes. Yes. Could you give us the big broad picture of what Mike's faith background looked like leading up to meeting you and where he was at that point? I know we didn't ask for his permission. (laughs) (laughs) He, um, also Catholic. Yeah. He, he would say he's an open book. We'll see. (laughs) Okay. Okay. We can Um, always edit if we need to. (laughs) Um, he's a cradle Catholic as well. Um, his mom, um, is Catholic and his dad was, was not Catholic, but very supportive. His dad actually, um, was baptized, um, at the scene of the accident where he died. He was actually, um, in conversation with a priest to become Catholic, uh, right before his death. So, wow. um, so he became Catholic. His mom's prayers were answered. He did become Catholic. So, um, so, but he, his father was very, very supportive. His mom was a church organist. And so he spent a lot of time at church as he still does as a church organist. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but it wasn't, it wasn't like mine. It was, it was, um, you know, they went to mass, they practiced their faith. He went to CCD. He went to public school. They didn't have a Catholic school where he lived in a small town, a farming community. And, um, but I believe also he continued to go to mass through. So in college, he went to UNL and he continued to practice his faith, but again, primarily on Sundays. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think he's definitely has a sense of what's right and to keep something's right you just keep you keep doing it but again i think we both came together at a time where and i think part of it was it was shortly after his father passed away that we met and he was changing and saying wow there's this isn't forever (laughs) this is there's an end to this and i think he was in a searching mode and and i was as well so that's kind of his the abbreviated version of him so then how long were you dating before you decided, let's do this thing, let's get married <laughs> and start things? We we started talking about getting married probably six months into um, our relationship. We just, I shouldn't say getting married, but just we could see we, we our compatibility and, and started really talking about what was important to us and what we saw life like. And we got engaged um, 11 months um, after our, our first phone conversation, we met, it was a blind date. We were set up on a blind date. So we talked on the phone for the first time and 11 months later, we 
got engaged. And then five months later, we were married. Oh, I love it. (laughs) So then you're married. And at this point, are you attending mass together, praying together? What does your married life look like in terms of faith? Yes. And so that, um, I was actually just telling the kids the other day, um, our daughter started babysitting some. And I said, make sure you, she's been praying, um, the night prayer with our youngest, but she wasn't necessarily praying with the other two. And I said, you know, dad and I always pray that. Even if we pray with you individually, we always pray together before we go to sleep. And we have since the night we got engaged, we would always, wherever we were, I still traveled for my job, wherever we were, we would at least always talk on the phone and, and pray together every night before we went to bed. And we always had. And that's sort of our mainstay is you know, the day is crazy, but we always go to bed together and we always pray before we go to bed. So we That's do other beautiful. things here and there, but we, we definitely started going to mass together. I had to go to his mass since he played. We mm-hmm. never sit together at mass, but um, we're together when we go. So so you're still working at this yes. point and at what point did having children enter the picture? So Claire was born um, a year and a half after we were married, about a year. And um, so that, as you know, changes lots of stuff. You, I don't know, you look at everything through their eyes and, and uh, get excited, kind of re- a renewed interest in your faith from baptism, you know, even when we went to the baptism preparation class, I thought, baptism, that's a really big deal, you know, that's that's Mm -hmm. something, and, you know, just, you know, I felt silly that I hadn't really, I hadn't been in awe of baptism before, and um, we were, both of us were, and um, I kept working for the first two, I went part-time, and I moved to a kind of a different track, a more strategic track and, and so it was a little more flexible um, but again I, I I look at and I think every time I felt like there was supposed to be a change in our life I I found the things I cared about were reordered you know um, my affections were reordered to what was more eternal and what was more enduring than money and prestige and, and the things I had once cared about so and the kids were a real gift because it was easy it was much easier to give up those things because of them I mean I, I loved them so much and, and I loved our family so that's kind of sort of that continued um, unhooking from worldly desires I guess that's beautiful so in those early years of motherhood what did your prayer life look like did it change at all from where it had been? Or would you say, it sounds like it's all just been a slow, steady, the hound of heaven pursuing you and baby step by baby step. There's just been more and more of him unveiling himself to you and showing you, here's who I am. Here's why I'm worth spending time with. Mm-hmm. And then you are introducing prayer with Mike into your life. And so then you become a mom and you transitioned to working part-time, what was happening within you personally with your prayer and faith life at this point? Well, I, I would say the, 
the day is slightly punctuated with prayer in terms of morning, um, you know, morning prayer and, and meals and, and at, the, at the end of the day. And then I found myself in stressful situations turning to prayer rather than just venting or just thinking it out like I always had before, um, just analyzing it to death or I still did that too. But, um, <laughs> I would, I still do that even now, but I, w- I would turn to prayer in a more, um, a very vulnerable a sort of, I have no idea what to do. I've thought about it in a million different ways and I have no idea what to do. It just in a, I've now finally gone through all the options and I'm turning to you. I, it wasn't my first turn, but it definitely was, um, I would go to him in prayer, go to the Lord in prayer when I would get low enough or get, when I, I felt like I'd exhausted all my other options. Um, so that's kind of how it would be. I would pray during the day, but it, it wasn't a part of every decision. It was really when I would get what I would call sort of desperate, you know, when I would feel really, I don't know what to do. Should I keep working? Should I not? You know, should I, you know, start to, you know, I just, I would find myself sort of spinning and then I, I would pray and I would always find such peace. I never had really what I thought would the answer I was looking for, the, the tied up in a bow plan, which is what I like. But I felt peaceful. I felt like he's got this and I don't have to. And that consolation was very beneficial because I would do it more often. And, and so it was like you said, it's just really slow and so patient with me. I mean, I just. I just couldn't get it. You know, I'd been knocked off the I think about Paul, he was knocked off the horse. He, he got it. I mean, I've just been knocked off the horse a million times, and I keep wondering why, you know, mm-hmm. so slow. Um, so. so it sounds like prayer for you changed from this, uh, I want to, I almost want to say not just formulaic prayer, sitting down, saying some Our Fathers, Hail Marys, or having rosary time or going to mass or doing bedtime prayers with Mike, but maybe more of a casual conversation with God Mm -hmm. that you're able to, like you said, be vulnerable with him in times where ordinarily your first impulse would be to just vent and just Mm -hmm. say, oh, this stinks and have a little pity party for yourself and then (laughs) move on instead of turning to prayer. Right. That's a great great summary. (laughs) So then how soon after, what's the age difference between Claire? What's the lineup? It's Claire and then Catherine, John and Lauren. Okay. And it's two years between Claire. Yeah. Two years between everybody. Yeah. Okay. So at what point in the odd years than the even years? And (laughs) you know, you were smart doing it (laughs) that way. (laughs) It was all, it was all us. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, yes. I like to say that, too, for us yeah. as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then at what point did you transition from working part-time to being at home full-time? So I was exactly to the day three months pregnant with John. and um, Who's your third really, born, right? He's the third. And I really had a great transition back after my first one. I really loved being part-time. I loved what I did at work. I loved being at home. And after I came back after my second one, I was pretty miserable the entire time. So for a year and a half, I just, I kept thinking it's going to get better. And 
and again, I look back now and I thought everything had to do with my company going through a lot of upheaval, which it was, but I was being, my, my grip, my fingers were slowly being pried from that is so important to me. And I just hoped every day that my job would go away. And I was hoping, I knew I was pregnant. I was praying that it would happen before I had to tell them I was pregnant because then I thought they won't eliminate in position because there'll be a loss, which I would never have done because I wanted to leave. <laughs> and on the very day, it was my three months, and I was I had my ultrasound that day, and I thought, oh, I'm going to have to tell him. My position was eliminated. And I was like trying to hold back my tears of joy. <laughs> wow. So it's, you can cut that out. But it was, I was so, I'd been praying just nonstop because I, I felt like I didn't have the courage to leave and I wanted to leave so badly. I just, I couldn't do it on my own. I didn't want to stay, but I, I just, I'd been there 15 years and I just, I just couldn't pull the trigger. Um, and I'm usually very decisive about pretty much everything and I just couldn't do it and I, I wanted to leave and I was so thankful. And so that's when I left. It was when I was three months pregnant with John. Wow. And everybody was like, oh, how are you going to do this? What are you going to do? And I sort of pretended for a while I was going to do something, but I never was. <laughs> I was, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I should have some big, um, although I thought I would ev eventually consult. I didn't have any plan to do anything right away. I just wanted to be with my kids. And I, I just didn't. I felt like I couldn't tell anybody that because they saw me in a very different light and I'd seen myself in that same light. And I just, I was so excited. So. so would you say it was a shift in your identity, how you saw yourself and who you were? It sounded like at the beginning of your professional career that you had a lot of feelings wrapped up in your career making up who Amy Zeleny is. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like there was a shift toward, as you put it earlier, your affections were reordered mm -hmm. and God put it on your heart to make your affections less about the career and where you were professionally and more about what was going on on the home front. It was, and it was, it was a shift. And I wish I could say that the shift, that that was really how it happened, but I thought that was what it was. But shortly after I realized I still really liked the way that made me feel. And mm -hmm. I did have a little bit of a hard time um, with the new, I didn't know what the new identity was. I couldn't, it took me a while to figure that out. I wanted to be there. My affections were there, but my, um, I didn't realize how much I liked it when people would call me and say, we have this huge problem. Can you help us with it? Yeah. Because I had a lot of problems, but none of them were that huge, and they were they were all messes. You know, they were like literally physical messes in my house. <laughs> so it, it was, you know, you know what it's like. It's what you had going on tonight. So yeah. Um, so the identity continued to evolve, but my I was I had a lot of consolation because I loved my family and I I knew it was important, and I just I had to figure out how to have my glory be in the Lord and in my vocation rather than in external things. So that definitely, I think that's something I continue to work. I mean, that the Lord works on in me. I don't think it's done at all. So still oh, a little I bit hard. 
I struggle <laughs> with that so much. And when I started staying at home, so Jane was born in February and I finished out that school year and then started staying at home that summer. And when I transitioned to staying at home, I realized there is no one here on a day-to-day basis giving me regular feedback. As a teacher, I had the students, more or less by their body language, telling me what's going on. You have your principal, your department chair coming in, evaluating you all the time. And I realized I was such a gold star junkie. I had to get the affirmation from all of these people around me of what a great job they thought I was doing. And when I was not getting that from the diaper changes and the feeding and the cleaning of the house, et cetera, et cetera, I was really struggling big time. And I don't know about you, but me jumping into staying at home full time, uh, and that was with our first child, I didn't have much of a prayer life at that point. And that was me looking back, seeing all of those moments of silence and isolation because I didn't have friends who were moms as well at the time. That was a big moment of isolation for me and desolation. But now looking back, I see that as God finally saying, okay, here I am, Catherine, you have not been listening to me for these first 24 years of your life, but now now's the time where we're going to start having a real relationship because I also am a cradle Catholic, but did not allow myself to hear God's voice until I was at home and found those pockets of silence. And I wish I could say like you that I've moved on from the venting to turning to God as my first impulse, but uh, <laughs> that we, we all need things to reach for. So maybe someday that will be where I am. I'm not there quite yet. I think my husband may, and now that I think about that, I think my husband may, I, I don't do, I don't have anyone else to talk to. So I still probably vent to him, but I don't count that. So I think, <laughs> <laughs> so I think, I don't know. I'm going to have to, I may have to take that back. <laughs> But that's, so you, did you ever, just curious, I found myself wanting to squash the silence and I still do that sometimes where, where I'm like, oh, I just want to listen to something and I just want to whatever. And I find myself just sort of uncomfortable with that silence, um, feeling pursued, but not in a way that I felt like I needed to change. And I was tired of changing. I was tired of I felt like I gave up as much as I possibly could already. And I had the feeling there was more. And if the silence was allowed to continue, I would, there'd be more required. I don't know if, yes. if that was like, if I really thought about it, but I tried to silence. I tried to end the silence. Well, silence is scary. And for yeah. me, those are the moments where either I let the accuser start filling my brain with all of the things that are not true about me as a wife, as a mother, as a daughter, as a friend, fill in the blank, or I allow God to fill the silence with the things that I need to hear, those hard truths, or those moments of consolation where he tries to fill me up, but I try to fill up the stuff with distraction because it's easier than facing all of that big stuff. Mm -hmm. So, Oh yeah. I identify with that big time. That was, I actually just went to confession on Monday with my spiritual director and we talked big time about being addicted to distraction. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. So what did he say? What was his advice? He's the best. He, he was just so affirming in really helping me to realize that my way to sanctity isn't going to be through achieving what I have put out to do on my checklist with God during my morning prayer time. And more often than not, if I'm dissatisfied at the end of the day because I felt distracted, it's A, either because I've allowed myself to be distracted trying to fill the silence, or B, I wasn't really being prayerful and open in my morning prayer time and asking God what he wanted me to do that day and was trying to go about it on my own. But his words of consolation to me with being addicted to distraction were that my way to holiness is going to be my vocation. And Mm -hmm. if I'm trying to go about it in different ways and I'm allowing myself to be distracted by social media, texting friends all the time, or just trying, even sometimes how ridiculous is this? Maybe you do this and you'll make me feel better or trying to distract myself with housework when I need to sit down and have a heart to heart with someone in my family or distracting myself with, uh, doing the dishes instead of greeting my husband right when he walks in the door and just helping me to see that it's not, it's a way easier choice when you see that your path to holiness doesn't have to be hard necessarily that it's just about meeting these people that God's put in front of me that make up my vocation that I don't have to take on these crazy penances and heavy burdens God doesn't want me to take on unnecessary crosses I mean just what you said I mean we I sometimes think to myself but I don't always live this way but we get to wake up every day. Our life should be about service anyway, but we get to do it waking up. We don't really have a choice because the people need us. We love them. They're generally pretty good to us. <laughs> I mean, it, it's pretty, it's a pretty good gig, yeah. you know, but I don't always look at it that way. And I don't always appreciate the fact that I get to have my life of service. I, the choices have been taken away. I really don't get to choose anything else except for choosing joy or, you know, whatever it is. But, um, I don't always do that, but I think from that perspective, we can be single minded. We can live out our vocation and, and, you know, it is hidden work for the most part, but, um, I don't know. I've, I've been trying to be, you know, when you talked about what do you want to do in the year? I just been more grateful that I don't have to be so torn. Yeah. You know, I look at our husbands and I think we really have to live in the world. We don't have to be of the world, but I think you know that's a that's a challenge that I really don't have to face. Mm-hmm. And, um, so anyway, just what you were saying, I'm just like oh, I do that completely. Yeah, I I don't want to do it, but then I think well, my life should be a service anyway. I, at least I get to do it in a pretty comfortable setting, you know. Yes. So. And I was curious to hear, um, with your experience, when your family decided to make the transition to homeschooling, 
Because I imagine you had gotten used to the schedule when your children were in traditional school. And then when you transitioned to having everyone at home to do homeschooling, did you experience any sort of a transition within your personal spiritual life? Or did that have any effect on you at all? I mean, it changed everything. It, it, um, yeah, it wasn't a plan. I was happy with school. We loved the school and, and we just felt, you know, we talk about in prayer. Every time I, I found this need to pray for our family during a certain season, I just was praying about our family. And every time I would pray about our family, I would hear this in school. And I think that doesn't have to do with anything. That has nothing to do with us. That's what I was thinking in my head. I'm like, See, and that doesn't that's not what I'm asking and it was to the point where it was actually driving me it was I, heard, I felt like I was going crazy so I finally said to my husband I said you're not going to believe this but I can't stop every time I pray I keep me about homeschooling and he looked at me and said do you really want to do that for the next 18 years <laughs> and, I, and I said no <laughs> and um, which now we laugh about this and I was able to successfully keep that out of my mind. I probably wasn't praying very much then because I was just like, I've got to block that because that sounds like something I don't even understand. And um, But we definitely felt called to it. Um, can I tell you a quick story? This, um, Please, yes. I was so... It, so then I started praying. I felt drawn to praying. It was back. So finally I just said in my prayer, if you want us to homeschool, make him want us to, make him want. And so I was like, great. And I was like, it's still like the best prayer I've ever had because it took it off my shoulders. Like usually I take it and I get take it back. Well, so Lord, here's the suffering. I'm taking it back. And this one, I was like, great. I really, you know, want this. And over the next six weeks, I watched our life start to change and he came home from work about every other day with a story of somebody, he, he's in academia, that he met that was homeschooling, and they ended up telling him some story, and he's like, well, that's interesting, and and then, I don't know, maybe two weeks into it, he said, half the engineering college homeschools, <laughs> and so, so he started asking about this, and he met someone he actually was starting to get, you know, becoming a good friend at work, whose kids were um, raised. And he'd been telling me about them, this wonderful family. And then he looked at me and just shot me and said, and they homeschooled. And I looked at him and I said, do you want me to look into it? And he said, I think so. <laughs> and I just was like, that was so crazy. But so that was an answer to prayer. So. You did the exact same thing with homeschooling that you did with your professional life. You said, I know. God, if you want this. It's all on you. You've got to make this happen. And he totally did. <laughs> he did. So. Wow. Anyway. So, and then it, everything changes because it, um, all of the tied up in a bow things that I thought would happen with people being away during the day, it doesn't happen. And, um, I mean, this, it happens with, you know, I, it happens with your kids whether they're in school or not that they become I just read recently that people like your kids are your mirrors. They mirror your behaviors and it becomes sort of stressful when you see some of your frailties in them and but I actually read something recently that said that your kids are a magnifying glass and I thought that's probably more true. Oh yeah. It just really I love that. Okay. 
that's the challenge. You know, you see those things, but it's you or your spouse, and it magnifies those frailties in you, and it's pretty humbling, and it's, it's, you know, it, it is, um, I don't know, from that perspective, it's really challenging. Um, and it's also a challenge to die to my desires of things I thought I would do. But it's wonderful. The fruits are just, the fruit of obedience is everything. I mean, God is so good when we're obedient to him. And I couldn't be happier um, from that perspective. You know, it just, it's wonderful. But it definitely is a, a different level of, you know, I didn't realize how many more selfish desires I still had yet to be, you know, I guess fired out. I, I thought I had given up every, you know, I thought I'd done it. I thought the Lord had done those things, and I now see every single day um, that he has a lot more he wants to do in, in, in the kids, but also in us, you know, that to really want his will over our own, but that's really what prayer is. It's to help us to want what he wants. And I don't know, that's that's sort of a daily challenge. And I love the fact that I can pray. We punctuate our entire day with prayer. And much of it is just, this is bigger than I think I can do myself. Please do it. And it's um, scary to take it all on. And so... I feel like I have to rely on him. So that's, it's good, but it's, it is a little, a, a little, um, I guess vulnerable too. So it sounds like homeschooling has had a huge impact. I mean, how could it not to, make that big transition from traditional schooling to homeschooling. And not only is your entire day turned upside down, but your home life as well, in terms of like what you were saying, the housework that ordinarily you would have been doing during those hours when the older kids were away at school and now they're with you at all times. And how do you make that work? And yeah, but it sounds like it's had a very, I'm sure you have your moments, just like we all yeah. do, but that it's had a very positive impact on not only your spiritual life, but your entire families. Would you say that's true? I do. I think it's, you know, I think, again, God, take he, he does exactly what he needs to do in each one of us. I and mean, I see families that are homeschooling that they have different issues, but they don't, they are, it's, I don't know, it seems to be smoother than ours. <laughs> And um, I think that maybe he, he's, he's working on different stuff in all of our families. And so I think this is the best way for him to do the work in our family. Um, oh, I love and, that. Because so, we all have our stuff, right? Yes. I think he knows us. He knows the what we need. And, yeah, that it, you can't see from the outside. I and mean, he really, you know, he, if somebody looks calm or whatever. I mean, you said I'm calm. I'm actually kind of a hothead. And I just, I wish I could have time to myself where I feel like I could control myself better, but I'm always with someone. And 
it's so I, I only my nature is much more controlling mm-hmm. and fiery and but I see good things where I can't be that way and, and I and I and I can't and I have need help to do it so that's where it sends me the prayer so you know I, I think I don't know about your family where you have you know you have a spouse who probably has gone a lot and probably has been your whole marriage you know, you're doing a lot of these things with the kids and kind of heading up the home for both of you, I'm guessing. Things are way better than they were when he was in residency. I was basically a single mom for the first several years of our marriage, but now... And that's with three, three kids when you were, he yeah. was in residency? Yeah, oh yeah. we had three by the time he was done with residency, but... Honestly, things are pretty good right now. We have it pretty darn good with his schedule. (laughs) But that being said, what you were just talking about, about being a hothead and control, you are describing me and I feel like you've been watching what's been going on at our house because I feel like God convinced me to sign up. I, in high school, thought that I had a vocation to the religious life and then God did a lot of stuff in my heart and... I eventually came around to his plan for this vocation of marriage. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. I'm just laughing. Oh, I just sounded like I cut out for a second. Sorry. I'm just. No, you're good. And so then he blessed me with these kids. And what you were describing with kids being a magnifying glass, I feel like he has given me and Philip each of these children to try and cut out all of these vices that I have, but each of them in their own special way have this way of bringing out these different temperament, personality things that I've got going on. And each of them very uniquely challenges those different (laughs) vices that I've got going on. And I am just convinced that these children are exactly how God willing, I will get to heaven because he has just created them so perfectly, not that they're some sort of utilitarian way for me to get to heaven and that's it, but what my spiritual director was talking about with my vocation being how I'm going to get to heaven, he's so right because they challenge me in the ways that I need to be challenged, that if I were living in a cloistered community or was living at religious life, maybe being a teacher. I don't think I would have those challenges that I've experienced being a mother. Definitely. I mean, I, sometimes I've convinced myself now I didn't, when I was really younger, I I thought I had a vocation, but once I was older, I didn't. But now sometimes I'll go to the pink sisters. I'm like, Oh, I wish I was you. (laughs) (laughs) And then I think that is, that's a sin. I mean, I have a vocation. It's awesome. And all I want to be is a cloistered nun. (laughs) (laughs) And then, but all these issues would follow me and I would, you're right. We wouldn't have this. He wouldn't be able to, do the kind of work he can do on us that he needs to do. And so that's so funny. I mean, I just, I think about that all the time. I'm like, well, I think I could be a much better person. You know, when you're talking about prayer life, I'm like, I'm going to pray all the time. Nobody will let me. <laughs> you know? yes. My prayer has to be like this. Help. That's what you <laughs>
I don't know about you, but I had this idea when I transitioned to being a wife and a mom and staying at home of what a prayer life should look like. And then life happened and (laughs) what my vision had been was so not happening. And I was wondering what your experience with that was and how that changed from the time you got married to becoming a young mom. And now where you are with your oldest entering the tween years, how your perspective on what a prayer life should look like has changed. Probably early on, I just, I was happy to be praying on a regular basis and and, and my faith was coming alive. And so I, I think that I was, it was all good. I thought it would be, I thought it would be different in that, um, I guess I thought prayer was more about me and I was really always looking for consolation in prayer. Yes. That's probably the biggest thing. And I, and I probably still do to, you know, to be quite honest, but I really, I thought that's what prayer was. I know now, no, it isn't. So I, even though I still seek consolation, I, I, I can get my arms around the fact that that's not what it's about, but I really, that's what I would do. That's my prayer would completely be geared toward consolation. And if I had consolation, I would continue to pray. And if I didn't, I'd be, it wouldn't even come to my mind. I mean, it would just, you know, I would do my regular prayers during the day, but I wouldn't, I guess, seek the Lord, you know? And so that's kind of how it was in the early time. Um, again, very slowly, I just, I wanted to pray more. And then I I get a little bit um, rigid. I want to, I get very upset when I can't do the prayers I want to pray and people interrupt me. And, you know, I, again, I'm kind of missing the point of prayer. <laughs> you know, I just, it's like I go from one extreme to another. And so that became, for a while, I, I would be very, I read a couple books and I wanted to do every single thing I read, always. I, I read a lot and I would, you know, whether they were, I read this book and the, the, um, have you read, uh, the apostle of holy motherhood? No, but all of my friends keep telling me about it. So now I have to, (laughs) well, but do it with a a prayer in mind. And that one of the things that our, um, our blessed mother asks of this mother is, which is what I took away from it, you know, praying three, four rosaries a day. And I was like, I don't even finish one. I do not even finish one. I, you know, I'm always asleep. I do it at the end. I mean, I, I lose track. I lose, you know, whatever. So then I'm like, now I have to do three, and I'm behind. I'm trying to keep track. I'm trying to catch up. And mm-hmm. But what I didn't pay attention to is the fact that when the Blessed Mother came, if her family needed her, she said, go take care of your family. Mm. And she went up, and the Blessed Mother went away. So she could care for her family. I missed that part of the message. I missed the part of the message that said, your vocation is to take care of your family. Mm-hmm. You know? And so... Um, you mean they're so not an we, interruption to what you're supposed what you're doing? Exactly. <laughs> yes, I was like, surprise, they're not an interruption. They're your, I remember saying to my mom once, I don't know, I feel like I have to go back to Mass. I didn't pay attention to anything because the kids were all over the place. I always had to go to Mass by myself because he was my husband was playing and my mom's like, this is, this is going to mass for you. Mm-hmm. This is your vocation. The Lord blesses you for doing, you know? And, and so she was very 
encouraging to me that you don't have to go back to mass. If you want to go and read the readings, go read the readings, you know, but if you, you don't, this is not about box ticking. This is not about, you know, they're not an interruption to your life. So that is, oh, I guess preach that's it. <laughs> so that beginning is, you know, I didn't pray unless I was being consoled. The middle is I wanted, I was so rigid that I was always disappointed and um, felt like a failure, felt very discouraged about, you know, my, my faith. And then I kind of am coming to, again, this is where I think homeschooling helps is, I feel like I'm able to almost like a monastic, and all mothers can do this, like a monk, work is prayer, prayer is work. It means just the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you you know, those monks are making coffee or wine or they're baking or whatever they're doing, and they're just everything. You know, they're just... And I don't do that all the time, but when I do, I feel those days are just, they're glorious. I mean, they're just, and not because they were lacked interruptions or whatever, but I just, I feel so connected to the vocation. Um, so, kind of, yeah. So how did you let go of that rigidity that you had during your prayer time? What, do you think there was a particular moment, or was it just this slow gradual softening that you had? Um, yeah, it was, it was, I can't remember if I read it somewhere or if I heard somebody, um, maybe a podcast or something talk about it. And they said that is, it's really self love and it's, it's sin to be that way. And I, I still struggle with it a little bit because what I like to do is I like to have my list and I want to do those things. But when I hear that, it helps me to say that's it's really self-love and it's sin to God would never ask that of us. He, he wants us to take care of people. Even I, I have some more time I said, you know, sometimes I'm praying the rosary, I just can't get through it because I'm kind of, I get off on this tangent and they said, stay on the tangent. Don't finish it. Go. If you're, if you've got, proclamation of the kingdom and you're meditating on it, you're praying, stay there. And I thought, you could stay there? You know, but we've got more to do. You've got to finish it. <laughs> and uh, and so it's those little things that, that kind of seem to pop into my head when I'm going back to my old ways, which is probably at some point every day, that it's it's really not about the Lord if I'm doing it that way. Because it's me, it's doing, and it's, it's self-love. So I thought that was... That's beautiful. I want to go back to what you were talking about from the book. What's the name of it? The Apostolate of Holy Motherhood? Oh, yes. So I've heard about this book very many times from several of my friends. And the part where she said that you need to pray the three to four rosaries a day and... Yes. um that is so funny. You just said that because my spiritual director, again, I talk about it all the time. (laughs) He was talking about how with my perfectionist tendencies, it would be because I was talking with him actually just on Monday about what does a good, healthy prayer life look like for a young mom with four young kids? Because maybe I have an unhealthy sense of what it's supposed to be. And he said, I think what you're doing now is 
pretty great. And I said, well, no, I want you to be harder on me. (laughs) And in previous times, we've talked about how I tend toward perfectionism, that I'm getting better, but I still have a struggle with that. And I will be the first to admit a lot of that comes from a place of pride. And if I am able to have those 30 minutes of quiet, solitary prayer time, that I'm feeling pretty great about myself. And if I'm able Mm -hmm. to tick off those different boxes that I have on my list, again, my list being the key word, not God's (laughs) list of what he wants me to accomplish and do or just be that day. It's all about me and what you were saying, self-love and sin. And so I think it's really, we have to know ourselves when we read a book like that and know what wisdom we're supposed to be getting from that book. Because what you pointed out is the key distinction. It's not about how many rosaries you pray for your path to sanctity. It's about the heart that you're bringing to that prayer and your ability to put it down to do what God's asking of you in that moment, whether it's for me tonight, tending to my child who's puking at the dinner table or getting on with my plan for the evening. So that's beautiful. Thank you for pointing out that that distinction, because I think when you're a young mom, you have this temptation to read all the books and hear what all the experts say (laughs) and find out all the things that you are supposed to be doing instead of turning to God and saying, okay, you made me the way I am. What do you want to do with me? And what do you want to do with this beautiful family that you've blessed me with? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's so easy to do when you... In fact, there's another book I love reading that I don't know if you have read this book or heard about it, but The Fulfillment of All Desire, Ralph Martin. No, but I keep hearing about this one as well. I'm writing it down right now. Now, this one, and the other one, especially if you tend to perfectionism, I would be careful. But this one, one of the things I love about it is I feel like it has it is continuing to teach me that most people don't have this moment where everything changes. It, they, the book describes the stages that you go through. It, the part that I'm in now talks about, the, so it talks about the stages of prayer, the importance of prayer, the stages of temptation. And when a temptation rears its head, are you a little bit delighted? I don't remember. Mm-hmm. You know, at some point you start to not love that, or you. But it, everything is like that, whether it's prayer or whether it's, I want to avoid sin, and then I want to do good, and then I want to be holy. And it, how that that shift it shifts your prayer life, it shifts everything. But it, it's pretty slow for most people, and that um that. That is okay, and that is good. You're not in the wrong place. You're exactly what God wants you to be. And so I, I found that one. Thing, that's one of the things I love about the book. And it just, I felt like so many other stories that I read. It was people who had this like moment. They were like, and Jesus came in and reached out, and made, everything was different from there. And I thought, I don't know. That's not how it was for me. And it's not. It just didn't. Um, I was hoping that that would happen, but it's been very slow and and kind of a, an awakening and a, and desires changing. And so um, I like that book because it helps you know when, when you're a perfectionist, 
So what's the first thing to say? You know what? I know what that is. That isn't really God. That's me or whatever. It, this book kind of acknowledges those steps as that's a step to holiness to say, I don't want to be that way anymore. And I'm not going to love that part of myself. I'm not going to stoke that fire of perfectionism or whatever it is, because I see that in myself as well. And I just, I don't know, the, the book is so encouraging because I just feel like if you're trying to live out this life and your eyes are tending toward heaven, that it's okay. We're where we're supposed to be and he's just going to keep bringing us along and we don't have to jump ourselves. We don't have to go, got it. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. <laughs> we just keep going. And thank goodness it's not that way because <laughs> I'd be in a lot of trouble. Well, I would be, I think that's what I was afraid of, sort of. Mm-hmm. You know, in the early years, I was afraid that it would, you know, be some sort of huge shock, but it's just been a slow, beautiful burn, like in a, you know, just warmth. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. I am definitely adding that to my Amazon wish list. On my well, let's face it. I think I have three hundred and fifty titles on yes. my to read list. <laughs> oh, it's so. Oh, it's my favorite thing to do. Is just I'll oh, put it put it there. <laughs> I think you're gonna need to come back on here and talk about reading, read aloud life, because you and I are talking the same language with our love of reading. As a wife and mom, I have experienced feeling like I'm the emotional barometer of the house as the spiritual heart of the home. So when you're going through a rough patch and you're just kind of in a funk and you're not really able to identify why yet, how do you continue being the spiritual heart of the home in those moments? I, for me, I have to actually get out of my home. I have to go somewhere because, um, I don't, I can't, because I feel like even when I'm not doing a good job as the heart of the home, I'm not, I am the spiritual heart of the home. I, the, when I'm out of whack, everybody does, everybody kind of goes off mm-hmm. and I first see it in them. I'm like, they're out of control. And then I'm like, oh, I'm out of control. So for me, I, it's best for me to get out of the house and, you know, if I can, my husband, I don't do this a lot, but if I just say, I just need to go somewhere, I need to go get a cup of coffee, I need to go take a walk or whatever. For me, you know, sometimes I'll just go pray, sometimes I'll just go and be quiet. Um, and so for me, to be a spiritual heart, I have to leave my house mm-hmm. <laughs> and then come back. And and I'm refreshed. So that's, I mean, what works. Yeah. And then when you um, look back on this past year, by the time this episode airs, I know we're recording this right before Christmas, but by the time this episode goes out into the world, we'll probably be a couple of weeks into January. So looking back on this past year, what would you say in your prayer life now that you've gone through 2017, looking ahead to 2018, what are you going to say no to in your prayer life? for the new year? And what are you going to say yes to? I'm going to try to say no to control and anxiety. How do you do that? (laughs) (laughs) 
Can I report um, back with you? Yeah, I don't December, know. Like, 2018. So that's, that's very vague and very... Um, so how I, I... I'm going to try, again, to say have peace as a goal. And um, because I... Without being peaceful, it's it's almost hard to do anything else. Even even prayer gets sort of a little crazy, and and so um, just praying for peace and um, asking for because I think He wants to give us the He wants to give us these these gifts, and so I think I want to ask for peace, and um, I think with that I will have to let go and. Um, again, like I said, I keep thinking I would let go of everything and then I'm holding on tightly to something else. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think for me, the only way, because I just do like controlling everything is to, to ask, you know, again, like you said before, I keep asking for something, please, I can't do this myself, do it. And he does. So I think I'm just going to ask for peace and, um, to kind of let go of, of being, of the perfectionism. Oh, that's a good goal. I definitely am going to need a follow-up to that to find out how you went about doing that because I identified with everything you just said right there. But that's a beautiful answer. I love it. So So what do you do? What do you do when you know this is, you know, you have a spiritual director, so that's a great, I need to get a spiritual director. That was, okay, that's actually on my goal for 2018 as well. Get some spiritual direction. I like your goals for 2018. Those are good ones. <laughs> well, what do you say about doing? Are you sharing? Are you sharing yours or not? Sure. So, 2018. I'm kind of needing to piggyback on what you were talking about with what you're going to say no to and what you're saying yes to. I really, really want to work hard on cultivating peace around here. So if I was going to make it more of a smart goal, something specific, measurable, I think I, this is new to me, but I'm really working on just continuing to keep it real with God in my prayer and letting him know in writing or out loud when I'm angry, when I'm sad, when I'm frustrated, or any of those emotions, because for whatever reason, even though he's omniscient, I thought I could just keep all of that to myself and make my prayer journaling time or mental prayer time be this elevated, I don't even know what, but he knows everything that I'm thinking and feeling. And it has been so beneficial for me just to keep it real with him in my quiet personal prayer time. So I'm going to say yes to keeping it real, and I'm going to say no to the world's expectations of me. So I'm getting way better at saying no to different extra commitments or random things, but I think I still need to keep working on trying to, I don't know, reconcile, okay, is this me saying no to something just because I don't want to do it? Or am I saying no, because this is what the world is asking of me. And I know this isn't what I'm supposed to do right now. If that makes yeah. any sense. Well, that's, yes, it does. It's have, giving yourself that permission and really to be obedient, you know? Yeah. 
great. Well, thanks. I wish you luck in your goals. (laughs) (laughs) You too. I am just so thankful to you for coming on the podcast and for giving so generously of your time. And I know that this conversation will bless the listeners because I know I personally gained so many insights from prayer life. And like I said at the beginning, I wasn't expecting you to be an expert or to have all the answers, but what you did do tonight, which I'm so grateful for, is you were real and vulnerable and opened up about the challenges that you have had and what was not working for you in the past and where things are in a good place right now. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of While You Were Folding. Until next week, be sure to subscribe to the show so that you won't miss the next episode. And if you could be so kind, please share the show on social media. Or even better, you can leave a rating and a review of the podcast wherever you listen to the show. That's going to help the show to get in front of as many listeners as possible. And until next week, I would love it if you could please get in touch. You can send me questions or guest suggestions to podcast at katherineboucher.com or just find me on Facebook and leave a comment there. I hope you got a lot of encouragement from my conversation today with Amy. I tell you, dig in deep with your prayer life, especially if you've never had much of one before. It can be pretty intimidating. But like Amy said today, for most of us, it's a slow, steady process. So just take one small step this week. Maybe that means committing to five minutes of prayer in the morning before you get your day going. And let me know how it goes. I want to hear about it. Maybe you'll find your mind wandering or you'll just forget one day. But I want you to be gentle with yourself. Baby steps. You've got this. Or, I should say, you've got this with a big dose of help from the Holy Spirit. Until next week, don't be afraid to begin again and share what you heard while you're folding.